Well, for more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And folks, it's that time of year, so we thought we would do business lessons from a Christmas carol. This is a great topic you came up with here, Ed. Yeah, came up with it about a year ago, Ron, and I don't remember, but we actually were going to do this last year, and it got bumped because we had the great Thomas Sowell on. So yes. instead, I was disappointed it got bumped, but I was more excited to have Thomas Sowell on. So it was <laughs> it well, wasn't a certainly. difficult trade off. <laughs> no, 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 and and as as a gift to everyone, I think we're going to replay that show. Is that right, Ron? We're going to we're thinking about doing that at some point. Um, Actually, I think we had Jules Goddard lined oh, up. Oh, right, and, right, right. And Goddard. George Gilder. But, you know, it's not a bad idea maybe to, to replay Thomas Sowell. I don't know. We can think about that. But, yeah, yeah since we're off air next week, uh, folks, and, and the week after because of the, the holiday season. So we'll be running best of shows. So that should be that should still be good, though. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I'm. Looking forward to getting some time off too, but but let's uh, let's delve into this topic, Ron. I mean, you know, Dickens was clearly anti-business. I mean, uh, or, he, or he was he was anti uh, the the whole idea of of um, he had some problems with it. Let's just put it that way. He did. I think he saw the the at the coal face, if you will, the grimy effects of the industrial revolution, child labor. You know, it's a theme in a lot of his books. So, um, and and yeah, I think it's it's also the inspiration behind this story, which I want to talk to you about. But yeah, but and, what, and it's interesting you, because the word business is mentioned twenty three times in the story. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> yep. Profit is mentioned four times, and money seven times. Right. So it's wow. clearly it's clearly a a major theme in the book. This this idea. Absolutely, so, and, and not to mention that you know, of course, the 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 great name that he comes up with, Ebenezer Scrooge, is a is a concatenation of the words screw and gouge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 changed the lexicon with this book, didn't he? He put that into the lexicon, and he put bah humbug. Yep, and maybe some other things too that I'm missing. Well, he changed the face of Christmas too, because this this book came out at a time where people were really rethinking the whole idea of Christmas, and and it was mostly because of Charles Dickens that a lot of the Christmas legends of that that really took root in the United States and in England 
took place because of this story. Um, you know, singing of Christmas carols was not something that was done all that often uh, before this book came out. So, mm-hmm. the pretty pretty interesting that he he really did change the entirety of the culture with with this this one book. And I, I personally think that this is this is one of his masterworks. It's right up there with probably his greatest works, um, I, which I happen to think that Tale of Two Cities is his best work. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, that's my brother's favorite book of his too. My brother's an enormous Dickens fan. And well, we should have had him on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he loves this work, but yeah, he, he agrees. Tale of Two Cities, I think, is his favorite too. But one person actually, Ed, said, uh, you know, this is this was a new gospel. Wow. <laughs> Which uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and I know there's a million places to go here. I mean, you know, obviously we could talk about the story. We could talk about the backstory, his his um, motivation for writing it, and and mm-hmm. you know, and how he wrote it, and how long that took, and all of that. But I mean, where do you want to go with this? <laughs> let's 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 start with some of the backstory. What 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 did your research dig up on on some of the backstory stuff? Well, he, I I I learned Ed, and I you know, and I saw this in a couple of different places, so it's corroborated as best as I could. But in February of 1843, the British Parliament uh, issued a report exposing the effects of the Industrial Revolution upon poor children, called mm-hmm. the Second Report of the Children's Employment Commission. Now, Dickens planned to publish in May of 1843, a few months later, a political pamphlet tentatively entitled "An Appeal to the People of England." on behalf of the poor man's child. He's obviously very concerned about the poor, child labor, all those issues, right? right. And he, But he said, he, he, he came up with a better idea that he wanted to do a story. And he wrote to somebody, he said, you know, I think you'll agree that uh, I could exert the following, I, I could exert 20,000 times the force by following my first idea, you mm-hmm. know, which was to write a story rather than just reply in a political pamphlet. Mm-hmm. And that political pamphlet became the Christmas Carol, and you know what? He, he was probably absolutely right. I, I agree. I mean, it, uh, something that he had written that as as a journalist would not have had half the impact that this story has had on on the the culture of the U.S., Canada, probably the English speaking world. It, I mean, can you imagine? It, it made me think. I know this is a crazy idea, but you know, the the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. were you know kind of political pamphlets, right? Right. What if there what if there had been a story <laughs> published about the constitution would that have been as powerful and or I'm more powerful it, or more powerful and I'm thinking it would have Yeah, I think you might be right. Man, a missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where was our one, Dickens? Uh, we one. had Thomas Paine, you know, yeah. but 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 Dickens was, you know, obviously, but I just, I just thought that was really interesting. I and mean, we've talked about the idea before about movies and stories and, and even humor to some extent can have more power than logic and reason. Right. And, and I, I agree with that statement. I mean, think about how many stories that we, we tell during our sessions, Ron, I mean, that are, that are so powerful. I mean, we, we, I can think of two or three right off the top of my head, you know, the far niente story that we, we always use. These, these are powerful ways to get the message across. And Dickens knew that more than, more than a lot of people. Yep. And much better storyteller than I am. So <laughs> I really, I just, you know, the other thing about Dickens is just, he's just such a pleasure to read. He can be hard, not so much yes. in this, book, but in some of his other ones. 
but but uh, but it's just such a pleasure. It was just such a master with words. And the other thing I found, Ed, and you probably found this too, I'm sure. But apparently, you know, going back even further with Dickens, it, apparently he both loved and demonized his father. And yes. apparently, they so some people say that's why you see two radically different Scrooges, right? The one who's cold, and then the one who gets kind of reformed and becomes mm-hmm. a sociable, benevolent man. But obviously, there are some daddy issues, as our friend Great <laughs> Kite likes to say. <laughs> Yep, I would I would think so. But I mean, we we're all influenced by our our parents and and the influences we have as children. And I think that one one of the issues I know that is the backstory to this is that his father was put in a debtor's prison, mm-hmm. and that what and that that influenced him greatly, especially because at the time, not only did his father go to prison, but his his mother and and younger siblings as well. And he he was the one who was out working for the family at the time to mm. to try to uh, f- fix the financial problems. And you know the the interesting the idea of a debtor's prison. We think that that is long gone. I was just listening to a, a podcast on this. It's actually alive and well. Yes. But what is interesting is that it's only when the debt is owed to the state. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so, don't pay your taxes. Try that, or don't. Well, pay your, it, it, sure, it, yeah. don't 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 pay don't pay you know fines or you know don't show up for court. And people would sure. argue, well, then then that's you know you're 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 actually putting somebody in prison not for you know but par- literally parking tickets. People are put in prison for parking tickets and 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 violations of uh, of the driving law. And stuff because they they mount up and accumulate and there's even a study and this is where the the podcast uh, that I was listening to talked about that there's there is a big uh, debt to be paid or I'm sorry the uh, there, there is a big connection between the problems that happen in Ferguson mm-hmm. and the police activity that was going on. The, in the years leading up to that, not, not just the race, racial profiling piece of it, which is clearly a problem, but the fact that there's memos from the, the city finance department to the commissioner of policing, right, telling him how to basically run the police force t- to maximize the, the revenue that the, the city revenue. will get. Sure. Right. I know the <laughs> tickets and uh-huh. you know, the cameras and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a huge issue. And, and this included then the use of debtors' prisons, and that's that's where the relation back to Dickens is. You know, I, I don't know why I thought of this, but remember the Beverly Hillbillies, and, and there's a series of episodes where they go to London, and the banker, Mr. Drysdale, which I always thought was an absolutely hysterical character. I remember him sitting in the back of a London cabbie, and he's talking to somebody, chauffeuring him around. He says, now, you guys still have debtor prisons here, right? He was all excited. <laughs> <laughs> The, the other uh, thing I found out about Dickens and and um, his inspiration for writing this, uh, not only this, you know, the the the, the poor laws, and and this parliamentary re- re- report, but he also spoke of the charity in Manchester, in England, and he spoke alongside the young Benjamin Disraeli, mm. which I did not know, who would of course later become prime minister, and after their talk. Dickens went on a long nocturnal walk and later had the idea for his little Christmas book, as he said. (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and interesting, just on the back background of, of Dickens too, and you know, this is he, he did get get in essentially paid by the word, right? Because most of these, including a Christmas Carol, was first serialized, right? Right. Yeah. Branded magazines uh, and things. Yeah. And, and things first, right? And what I what I found fascinating about that is that he actually got letters and had conversations with people and would change plot elements based on the feedback that the he feedback. got. Yeah. And, yeah. And and one of the things I don't know if this was a change to the plot element, but one of the things that is I don't know if you if you caught this in the book, but there there's actually a logical problem, right? That uh, is not really well resolved, and that is when the the ghost. Uh, of Marley comes and says that you'll that you will receive the the ghosts of, th- of three more spirits will visit you. He mm-hmm. says that they'll happen um, the f- the first one tonight at, at the first stroke, and then tomorrow night and the next night, and it's a three night thing. Right, right. But at the end, it it it, it turns out that the, all the the ghosts get it all done in one night. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, and I think that that was a problem potentially with the serialization. Mm, right, is that mm. he didn't make the connection point back? But there, it's, there are scholars to say no, 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 no. He meant to do that, and what, whatever. <laughs> okay, okay, and yeah, there's probably a whole bunch of theories about why he did got them all in one night. But I have a question for you, Ed, because I saw conflicting things on this. When was it actually published? When did it actually hit the stores? Yes, and that is a a. Because I found two dates that kept popping up in in very respectable places. The one that I go with it because it's the one that is used by the Dickens Museum is the, the like it's a January date, right? It's the it's um, late. It was like just after Christmas one year. Oh, because everything I found was it was either December December seventeenth or nineteenth. No, there was this. The, yeah. Because he planned it that way. He wanted to write it. He finished it in November because he knew he, he needed time to get it out be, you know, in the stores before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, there was a, I'll, I'll have to – yeah, a documentary on this, and that's what I'm citing. And that's what they, the, the, uh, the curator of the Dickens Museum says. It actually wasn't published until after, Well, oh, that's interesting because uh, – it's 1843, and if, even if you look at the very first edition, it's got that on the you know the trademark, I think. Right, right. Hmm. But, uh, not trademark, copyright. Copyright. Yep. Which did we not, and that's another thing that we should talk about after our break is the the fact that that Dickens was was uh, very much pro copyright. <laughs> yes, and 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 Ed, how he priced this too was really interesting. Well, this is just going to be fascinating. There's just so much to talk about with this book. But folks, we're up against our first break and we'd like to remind you you can contact Ed or myself at ask tsoe at verisage.com. If you want to send us a tweet, uh, which we follow live during the show, hit us at ask or hashtag ask tsoe. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. 
We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Awesome Mannheim steamroller bringing us back. Love it. Ready, Ron? You bet. This is my favorite line from the whole book. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Business! (laughs) Cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Agreed. Love that line. It's a great line. It's a great line. <laughs> and I love the commas. <laughs> I yes. love the commas. He was a master with the commas. <laughs> I and I even in a preface or something, he I even like what he said. He said, May it haunt their houses pleasantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some great great lines in the whole the whole thing here i think there was one of my 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 favorites is after after marley's ghost goes and the and the clock strikes i think it's one um and he's and he's ready right he's kind of prepared mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like right and the line is now being prepared for almost anything. He was not by any means prepared for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so let's let, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the other thing is just—I don't know why I came up with this, but he said, you know, Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. Right there, it stood yes, years yes, afterwards. Yes. Above the warehouse door, the firm known as Scrooge and Marley. And all I could think about was, it's the same with accounting firms and law firms. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, But he answers to both. It doesn't matter what they call them. And Ed, let me ask you this. What, What did they do? What was the business? What is accounting house, right? That's that's the question. Um, Were they lenders? 
Yes. So basically, basically, money lenders, short-term lenders, they would loan people money. Yep. I mean, yep. legalized loan shark, basically, sure. is really because sure. <laughs> because there's some references to you know during the ghost staves where he's people are saying, well, we hope we get you know a better creditor, you know, yes. replaces it. Yeah, his funeral or whatever. Right. 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 <clears throat> right. So, he, but let's he talk was, about Dickens pricing. Or yeah. Well, <laughs> and by the way, I looked it up. I was completely wrong on the date. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch that that uh, the um, the documentary. But there was something stuck in my head about January. But I, I can't find anything on that, so I apologize for that. Okay, no no problem. I mean, just, but see if you can dis, uh, uh, figure out the discrepancy between December seventeenth and nineteenth, eighteen forty three. Because I've seen two very respectable sources of different dates, and apparently it hit the store on one of those dates, but it sold out in three days. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eddie declined a lump sum payment for this book. He chose yeah. a percentage of the profits in hope of making more money. Uh, and, and he published it at his own expense. Now, <laughs> because of the high production costs, it, it brought him 230 pounds. Now, <laughs> that needs to be said. That's about 20,000 pounds today. Right. <laughs> but it was rather than the thousand, though, that he expected. Uh, mm-hmm. And need it because his wife was once again pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so he he didn't go for a fixed price. Basically, he he went and t- took the risk and wanted to, you know, thought that it would do a lot better than that. So he wanted to share yeah. in that. Yep, it it did sell out quickly. But it, let's let's talk about his pricing. You know, this this was a, a book about the poor that the poor could not afford. It, it you know it, it was priced <laughs> at five shillings. Yeah. That's twenty two pounds today. That's like thirty bucks. That's a hardcover book. Yep. Yep. And, and it was and a that's small amazing. little book. Yeah. 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 Now apparently it was really be- beautiful, right? It had illustrations and you know color. Color. Yeah. yeah, color, yep. Very nice trimming around the paper and all that. But uh yeah, in fact that's one of the that was a part of the critics, wasn't it? That that hey, that this was written about the poor, but the poor can't afford it. Yes, and and Dickens was not one to, uh, to to shy away from trying to enforce his copyright law. He said there were several lawsuits because almost immediately people started, you know, ripping him off and and made plays out of it. And at the time, it was little that he could do about it. But he did. There were several cases that he tried to bring against people. He lost them all. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> know, when I all. read the Parley's Illuminated Library pirated the tale. Mm-hmm. The fall in January of of, eight, of uh, eighteen forty four, and Dickens sued and won, but they declared bankruptcy, and he ended up paying seven hundred pounds in cost. And again, this is like sixty three grand a day, right? Sixty three thousand pounds, which is you know in U.S. it's even higher. It'd be like you know eighty or thousand something. Um, yep. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, so I guess he had all sorts of, a co- and he was very aggressive with his copyright. Um, I remember a, a, a Bonanza episode of all things that, and Dickens was played by Jonathan Harris, no. Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually did a great job. Wasn't he a Shakespearean actor? Oh Jonathan yeah. Yes, Harris. He was, he was yeah. a pretty accomplished yeah. guy. Um, but anyway, he, he played him brilliantly, but he, he came to America to battle, you know, people stealing his, his work mm-hmm. and, and pre and publish it, publishing it without his, uh, authority. Yeah, no, he was, and he was, he tried to get, I guess, uh, copyright laws in, changed to be international. 
And mm-hmm. at the time, the, the U.S. would have nothing to do with it. The other thing I found really interesting is, you know, he, he did visit America twice for reading tours. Um, and on the second tour, this was in Christmas time around 1867, he, he read at a church in Brooklyn. And people camped out in the snow to be sure to get mm-hmm. a ticket. And apparently the line was literally a mile long, they said. And the second tour earned him about 19,000 pounds, which is, again, about 1.4 million pounds today. Yeah, no, he he made he made some serious coin. He did, and, and Ed Ed um, Mark Twain saw that reading, and you know what he said? It, he wrote a review, and it was not favorable. He said nah. there is no heart, no feeling. It's nothing but glittering fl- frost work. <laughs> this <is> Mark Twain. <laughs> I think he was a little jealous, to be yeah, honest. With you. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I kind of have a, a hard time with that one. I Twain must have had some some bee in his bonnet over that. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I wanted to to bring up with you. I don't know if you you caught this. You know, there there is a a a um, reference to something that we talk about all of the time in this in this book. And it, and that is a black swan. Did you catch that? No, no, I didn't. Yep. So there was. It, it's uh, it's it's in a section section with the Cratchits. Okay. Right. Yep. And uh, they they were talking about the her the, the, the what was going on as that what was happening in the house as they were coming in right and such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds a feathered phenomenon to which a black swan was a matter of course <laughs> and in little truth was something very little like that in the house so I just thought that that was a, a quick an, an interesting reference so at that point they had discovered Australia. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, black swans were mentioned, so that was that was kind of a an interesting one. That's wild. You know, at uh, at Churchill's residence in Chartwell, which you can go to and tour in Great Britain. Uh, they and of course they have a studio there with a lot of his paintings that he did. Uh, he's got black swans running around the property. Oh, nice. He, he thought that they were just really terrific, so I guess he had a few of them brought over. Very cool. So, what? Anything else that impressed you, Ron? What was it's a jump out at you from the actual text of the book? And we'll, we'll talk more about this after our next break. But uh, let, let's just kind of set this up. Where do you want to? Where do you want to go with, with that? Let's well, talk about I want to go a little bit more. I, I actually want to go in, in, into a little bit of the economics here because I, you know, I think the obviously the miser takes a yes. beating here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to defend the miser. Okay. I'm going to try and do it with economics, so and I'll save that for the break. But um, I, you know, I just I I love the story, I guess, because it's you know the whole it's a redemption story, right? Right. We right. love that. We absolutely yeah. love that. I'll to change my ways and and all of that, and and um, you know, I I found it interesting that I found uh, last year when I was prepping for this show, the uh, Economist had um, an article on uh, measuring. Um, happiness, and mm. it, it was titled "What Ebenezer Scrooge and Tiny Tim Can Tell Us About Economics." And he said, "While Scrooge found it easy to count his rich, riches, happiness is harder to pin down." Right, Tiny mm-hmm. Tim, and this is again the Economist. I love these guys. <clears throat> Tiny Tim Cratchit, the annoying, annoyingly saintly hero of a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> should not by rights be happy. He is crippled and desperately poor. Scrooge, despite his fabulous wealth and good health, yuletide hallucinations aside, is miserable. Yet it would seem odd to conclude that Tiny Tim is better off. So it was kind of a whole article about how difficult it is to, to try and measure happiness. Well, you know, he, they say that, but there's a, there's a line in the text that I think contradicts that. And there, it's, you know, when Scrooge comes back after the, the, the scene in, in, his, in the uh, counting house and he comes home and, you know, he makes his, his bowl of gruel. Uh, there, there's a scene where he is he's about to to, to head up the stairs and he has a, the 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 candle and there's a line that I, I just love he says he says darkness was cheap and Scrooge <laughs> liked it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was, I, he, was, he, was, he was happy, you know. It's, it's like okay, <laughs> like it, <laughs> like it when it's cold. <laughs> I like it when it's dark because it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, did he say stuff. about his 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 the, the his employee because you know give, giving him a day off with pay was a way to get your pocket picked on December twenty fifth. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Something yes. like that. Well, excuse for picking a man's pocket every twenty fifth of December. <laughs> All right, so you're going to defend that when we get back. You're going to defend the miser. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to give it my best shot. You bet. All right. All right, so when we get back, Ron is going to defend the miser. But right now, we want to remind you that you can follow us along at hashtag AskTSOE on Twitter, and we are monitoring that during the show. Uh, also, you can email us at AskTSOE at Verisage.com. And, of course, the website is TheSoulOfEnterprise.com, and there's all kinds of great stuff on there, links to our previous shows and show notes and, and previews for upcoming shows, as well as the link to our book, which we would love for you to review on Amazon or the podcast on iTunes. So, But right now, we're going to uh, take a break, and we'll be back after this. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
great Mannheim steamroller. And that, Absolutely. that that song is is actually in the in the text run. God your rescue Mary gentlemen. There's the the little kid comes by and starts singing into the keyhole. <laughs> God rescue yeah. Mary gentlemen. Ah, okay. The uh, earlier so and, and and Scrooge kind of makes a gesture at him and he goes running away <laughs> in fear. <laughs> but oh, I, and I, I forgot to mention our, our, on our breaks, and I should uh, a Zamba, and we'd like to to thank Peter and the whole crew over there, and wish them a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, as well as the folks at Leading Results. I know you mentioned them, but Dan Krause and his team. So uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to them as well. So you're up, Ron. You're going to defend the miser that is Scrooge. Yes. All right. Well, you know, this is kind of defending the undefendable, right? But um, right. let's face it, the miser takes a beating in this story. And I think part of this, Ed, is I'm going to tie this to Keynesian economics because in Keynesian economics, there's something called the paradox of savings. Mm -hmm. And that is it's sensible for a family or an individual to save, but it's folly for an economy as a whole, right? Because if we all save, then we're not spending and less spending translates into fewer jobs. Right. Now, I think this is nonsense on stilts because (laughs) – Savings is also investment, but, you know, um, it seems like this paradox of saving, it, it seems like no matter what we do, have, have you ever seen in news media reports, they're either blasting us because we're not spending enough or mm-hmm. they're blasting us because we're not saving enough. <laughs> Whereas savings a you know, very personal decision, right? If you're a college student, um, of course, you're not going to save. You're, you're going to be going into debt to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. But if you're an older person, you're going to actually engage in dis savings, right? You've been saving your whole life. Now you're going to enjoy it in your retirement years when you're not working. You're going to be drawing down on your savings. But it just seems like when the rich spend, we complain. And so I, I, I remember Robert Frank is, a, is an economist, I think at Cornell, and he wrote a book called Luxury Fever, and he talked about the late Aristotle, Aristotle Onassis's yacht, which was called the Christina, mm-hmm. and its bar stools were covered with literally the most expensive material in the world, which is the foreskin of the sperm whale penis. <laughs> now, I don't know, he's got six or nine, 12, whatever, bar stools on his yacht, right? Right. And... um you know, people look at this and they think, well, this is conspicuous consumption or it's ostentatious, right? So we wail on the rich guy when he spends. We wail on people like Ebenezer Scrooge because he's a miser and he doesn't spend. Mm-hmm. So which so we, is it? Which is it? Yeah, you tell me. <laughs> um, right. I'm actually going to make the case here that the miser should be celebrated for not consuming because if you just think about this in, in total, the less money there is – chasing the same amount of goods that's going to drop the prices for everybody so everybody benefits but to the extent that a rich person does spend and i want him buying things like you know the foreskin from the sperm whale because (laughs) that's stuff that i don't buy or that the poor don't buy i don't want him out there buying you know staples and and uh, food and things that are going to jack up the prices of what everybody buys i want him to buy stuff that's completely exotic mm-hmm. and that in itself creates jobs but put that aside i mean i just find it interesting that nobody nobody criticizes uh, people who hoard art mm. they don't they don't say that's engaged in some type of sterile enterprise or people that hoard cats or dogs right, right? um but yet 
why do we get on Scrooge for hoarding money? I mean, if that's what makes him happy, who are we to judge? Yeah, right. Yeah, and there, there's there's a lot of moments in the text about that, talking about his, his money, especially the, in the last scene with the the ghost of Christmas is yet to come. The 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 guys who have you know taken down his bed curtains um, and are are selling them. You know, he says, well, you know, he he didn't spend it when he was alive, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I just want to say, in making this defense, I'm not saying I would act that way if I had. <laughs> right. No. No. I. I, I know. And you're. you're and, and it is de- defending the in, indefensible. I mean, Scrooge's problem isn't so much that he's a miser. He's just he's a, he's a mean person too. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> the miser thing. I think I could probably get over if he was more congenial. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know. And, and and not and not saying things things like this. I mean, and this is re- relation. What's what's and this? He says this to his nephew Fred. Right. What's Christmas time for you? But for paying bills without money. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them, though round a dozen of months presented dead against you. <laughs> so he was he, he was also kind of anti-accounting too, really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, back to the miser thing, and he should be celebrated for not consuming it. It it does, I think, illustrate all of this does illustrate how economics in in an economy, especially a market economy, is so interdependent. Right. right. It's like. We know a lot of people that would never shop at Walmart. I particularly don't enjoy going into a Walmart, but we benefit from it tremendously, right? So if there were Ebenezer Scrooges in my neighborhood, I would benefit from it, mm-hmm. even though it may not be visible. So it's kind of that whole seen and unseen thing, right, that right. Frederick Bostia talked about. Right. Well, I I never I, I can't quite get that when people talk about well that you know they're they're hoarding money well. And maybe Scrooge could actually hide it under his bed. I mean, but he didn't. He was actually right. investing it. I mean, yeah. even he in the text that he he is an investor. Now he might have been charging usurious rates. I, I I don't know. It that that doesn't come out in the text at all. Right. But but he 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 was investing it right. So it's not like it, it, it. Yes, it was his, but and he was expecting a return on it. But he was circulating the money, and I. And the same thing is true, I think, for people today. It's like you know, you don't think that that Bill Gates is sitting on a billion dollars or whatever, and it's in his bedroom underneath his mattress, right? right? I mean, it, it, it's in a bank, and what's that bank doing with it? Well, they're probably loaning it out, right? Absolutely, they're making and, loans and, to entrepreneurs, businesses, and all of that. And and you know and I think that that is part of the complaint that people are saying today is that the the, the capital to the to to the small entrepreneur is not available because the banks are, are it only behooves them to lend to lend lend to large institutions and I think that's right but I think that's an outcome of some of the laws that went into to pra- practice after the 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 two thousand eight crisis. Yeah, no, so. absolutely. And, and, you know, I even think usury laws to some extent are kind of ridiculous. I mean, the usury law in the state of California is actually written into the Constitution of the mm-hmm. state. Right. Um, but, you know, you can make, you could, I can make a very strong case for loan sharks and other money lenders that, you know, have been chided throughout history. But, you know, if Scrooge was a money lender, if that's what his business was, then he, then he had a different time preference of money. Yep. You know, he was loaning it to people who wanted to spend it now, and he was fine putting that consumption off. I'm, I'm not ready to morally condemn that. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, there, there, there's some other things in there that, that are um, uh, more of a problem than him, him uh, just 
just to, just holding on to his money. <laughs> oh. Right. And and you know, back to this paradox of savings, which I think is, you know, completely ridiculous from Keynesian economics, the idea that we, you know, an economy can save too much because again, I equate savings that goes eventually it's going to find its way into investment and mm-hmm. investment is going to increase productivity, right? It's why a farmer in the US makes more than a farmer in North Korea or Cuba because you know, they have more productivity because they yep. have more capital and machinery and equipment and all of that. Uh, per labor hour or whatever, however you want to look at it. But, you know, one of the other things that the uh, argument is against the hoarders and misers is, well, they they cause disruption and adjustments in the economy. Well, yeah, so do changing consumer tastes. So does Uber. (laughs) You know, so does innovation. It causes all sorts of disruptions. That's kind of the beauty of the system. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, not not ready to con- condemn Ebenezer just because of his miserliness. I think there's other <laughs> things you can condemn him on. <laughs> right, right. Well, I wanted I want to turn our attention for a couple of minutes before our next break to an, an, another character who is per- portrays actually a business owner in a positive light. Okay, and and that is the character of Old Fezziwig. Mm-hmm. Now this mm-hmm. takes place in the where we're in the Ghost of Pr- Christmas Past, so it's uh, uh, the the second stave. And right. Fezziwig was Scrooge's one of Scrooge's early bosses. He was apprenticed under Fezziwig, and you know Fezziwig ends up throwing this big, huge party on Christmas Eve. Right, and the, the, it's just it's a it's a hysterically funny scene because there there's the young Fezziwigs come in and suitors for the for the the three daughters and uh, the character of Dick, which is Ebenezer's friend, is in there, um, and and even Ebenezer Scrooge at the time, of course, is uh, dancing and singing, and this is where he, of course he is is interacting with his uh, beloved at the time, um, who you know then th- then this the scene after this is a very depressing one where. Where she says a golden idol has replaced me, but I want to talk again about this this scene with Fezziwig because I think it's a really good one, and I think that that uh, Dickens really this is his soft spot for the business owner, mm-hmm. right? Then the ghost, of course, trying to get Scrooge to feel guilty about it, says a small matter. Said the ghost to make these silly folks so full of gratitude, and, Sco- and uh, Scrooge says small. And the the spirit signaled to him, uh, you know, what he had done. He is why uh, why it is not. He spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much? He deserves all of that praise. And Scrooge says, it isn't that. Um, it isn't that spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil, to say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight or insignificant that it is impossible to add or count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it had cost a fortune. Mm. And, of course, this gets my my, my brain going on the annual performance appraisal. <laughs> 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 wow, we're making some wild connections here. <laughs> but but true, right? But you know, you know that that, that and that's what Fezziwig does. It wasn't so much that he he spent this money on the Christmas party, right? Um it's it's the fact that Fezziwig through, throughout the year uh, clearly made his apprentices uh he, he made their lives better by by what he did and said during the entirety of the year. This 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 scene is just a manifestation of what a good boss does. Right, right. right? No, you know, and you reminded me of something else. Said you're right. He did have a, a fiance, didn't he, Belle? 
mm-hmm. Bell. Right? Yep. And, and 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 she ends the relationship because she realizes that Scrooge will never love her as much as he loves money. That's right. That's right. And I think and and that's really the 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 point with Scrooge is it's it he really does a, a personify the biblical quote of love of money as the root of all evil. Correct. Right. It's not money is the root of all evil, but love of money is the root of all evil. Right. And and that and that's and that's where where Scrooge has the problem. Um, you know, even even the scene with you know the the, the workhouses and all of that. And I, I think that conditions were horrible back then. Don't get me wrong, but over time they were improving with or without uh, legislation to change it. Right. And he even says Ed, that I, I already pay for the workhouses and, and the that's prisons. right. He does. He and, makes and a so great. He says, Why should I give to charity? You know, mm-hmm. and and it is a great example of how a government can can crowd out charity. And you know, we've talked on with Father Sirico and Lappin that you know, true compassion is voluntary. Yep. Wow. Well, this is <laughs> hour is absolutely flying by. What a <laughs> what, what a fun, great work. And I really look forward to 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 our last segment. But we want to remind everybody that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the soul of enterprise.com is the website. Uh, please take a look there and hey, buy the book as a Christmas present for all your friends. Uh, we we really appreciate it. More than that, if you could write a review or just send us a note or drop us a line on hashtag asktsoe on Twitter. We love to hear from you because we hope you guys have a great Christmas. But right now, we're going to hear from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing business lessons from A Christmas Carol, a book highly recommended. Uh, wow, what a pleasure to read, Ed. Yes. Yeah. Let me just give you one more line. Let me just give you one more line. 
this is this is this is the in the scene after with this, uh, this is the ghost of Christmas Christmas uh, present, and who is a fantastic character. I just love the description that that. Uh, Dickens gives to him this jovial, uh, very you know Saint Nicholas type uh, type guy, and um, it, he when he when he goes to to uh, to bring him to the next next uh, to the next scene, Scrooge is kind of used to this, right? Because he he did the Ghost of Christmas Past already, so he's ready for what's what's happening. And this is the one of the the the, the places where a prophet is mentioned. And he says, spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. So, Love anyway. it. You know, apparently, Ed, you can, you can see the first edition, I believe, um, or one of the, uh, the rare editions at the Pierpont Morgan Library in New York. Mm-hmm on display there. So I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. But another thing I wanted to point out to you that I found, and I just love this on when, when Dickens did do these tours in the United States or when he did a public reading, uh, here's how he prepped for his public reading. So see if this makes sense because you know, you and I do so many talks. He said, Dickens would drink two tablespoons of rum (laughs) mixed with cream for breakfast, a pint of champagne for tea and Half an hour before he went on stage, he would knock back a sherry with a raw egg beaten into it. <laughs> Bring it on. So, yeah. that, everything about everything except that raw egg part. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think in some states we would be arrested for doing that. It probably. <laughs> oh my. So, the other thing, there there's like twenty eight film versions of this. But there's a silent version, and then um, in 1901, a silent version was made in, in Britain. But then six more silent versions of this thing were made. Oh, and this one is unbelievable! Yeah, there's so many versions. Of course, and and of course, the the Alistair Stim version from the the 30s or 40s is considered like the classic. I I happen to like two of the more modern versions of it. I I really love the George C. Scott version because he plays Scrooge completely differently mm-hmm. uh, and let me give you a, qu- a quick example of it you know the, the the scene at the very beginning where the 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 portly gentleman come in and try to solicit funds right um, and or, or even with the nephew like the first time Scrooge says bah humbug mm-hmm. he, he he laughs right <laughs> He says, bah, humbug, right? And it's it's just, it's the complete opposite of what you would think. Like, you know, we think, bah, humbug, right? <laughs> but he says it with a laugh. And the, and the one line, and it's so evil, he says, um, everyone who goes about with Merry Christmas on their lips should be boiled in their own pudding and Buried with a stake of holly through his heart, and he's and he's laughing as he says it. So he's it's like this insidious <laughs> evil, <laughs> and it's just great. So I really like the George C. Scott, and then I, I also happen to be partial to the Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, Captain Picard on Star Trek version. I think he did a great version, and it, the the one that's on uh, that you can see the the video is is him playing it in like a, a normal. Um, movie type setting, but I had the pleasure of seeing him do it as a one man show on Broadway. Wow, where he that did must have been every, something. Oh my gosh, where he did every character, 
Wow. It, and he took he took Dickens actually shortened condensed version that he would read, um, and he and he read read that, but he acted out the parts, and it was absolutely fantastic. If he ever does that on tour again, and you happen to see that, wow. man, spend the money and go watch it. It is unbelievable. Well, they talk about, uh, and one of the things I was reading that they talked about how Dickens, you know, had a prompt. I think they call it a prompt copy, mm-hmm. where he had, you know, uh, gestures he would make, you know, acting, re- doing during his readings and all of that. And right. apparently, some of those are still around too, with his actual notes and the margins and things. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's wild, boy. I'd love to see that. Yeah, that'd be really something. And and you know, the other thing, just back to how Dickens did this kind of in response to the poor laws reform, uh, you know, in the spring of 1844, the gentleman's magazine attributed a sudden burst of charitable giving in Britain to Dickens work. So there's no doubt it changed behavior. No doubt. And that, that's what makes the story so powerful. Awesome. So you had a couple of shout outs that you wanted to do though, because we're not going to have a chance to do a, a free rider at the end of this month. We did one earlier, but that was really a makeup for the one we didn't do in November. So, right. <laughs> yeah. And since we're going to be off the air for the next two weeks, at, at least live folks, we will be running a best of, so you can still tune in. Um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Bryce, Ed, because he tweeted something to us this morning about, um, about the Google driverless car, which you and I follow, um, and this article, and it's from Automotive News, and I think that needs to be said because obviously this is a biased publication. Can't believe the automobile industry is too enamored with the driverless car. Right. But the accident rates in the Google car are twice as high for driver, or accident rates are twice as high for driverless cars as for regular cars, but the driverless cars have never been at fault. So one of the things that was pointed out. In this article, and this is a very small population to be to ma- be making that claim, by the way. Right. But right. Google cars have been in seventeen minor crashes yep. and two million miles of testing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now they're probably counting some other ones too from the universities and whatnot. But you know, never once are they are they at fault. But the thing is, it's because the Google driverless cars are programmed to follow the law. Correct. So they don't do rolling stops. You know, they don't. They're not maybe the best mergers onto a busy highway where everybody's breaking the speed limit and i do right. believe that is a that is an issue and they are grappling with that at google you know how yep. when do you let these things break the law no and that's that's a fascinating point that i that i think is important because well well where this leads though is ultimately that goes away because when you do reach a tipping point and more cars on the road are driverless than not right then that sort of goes away Right. Absolutely. Then, then you actually do want it to fo- follow the rules, but until then, what do you do? That's that's really the quandary. And yeah, I think there was one one uh, story I read said there was a it was literally just stopped. It was on a merge, and it it could it it didn't it, the car wouldn't move because right. w- you and I would go all right. Well, th- if if I stick my butt out here, this guy behind me, it's he's far enough behind me that he will slow down because he doesn't want to die either, right? Yep. So, yep. so that's kind of the judgment that you have to make. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, that, is, that is a challenge. And the programmers are saying, you know, for now they're erring on the side of, of conservative and following of the course. law strictly. But, you know, there's things that it just it doesn't have the, just the you know, human judgment to do. Like it, it will stay out of a double yellow line or if there's construction workers, you know, 
it, it, so it, it's going to have to deal with those things. But one of the things I found really interesting is California now is compelling these companies to um, issue monthly reports, file monthly reports on the Google car's behavior. And mm-hmm. Google's not very happy with this. The other thing, Ed, is in Mountain View, uh, a motorcycle cop pulled it over. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> because it was going too slow. Too it was going slow. To 35. And, and, of course, the engineers are in the car, you know. But, right. he, he's, you know, I couldn't issue him a ticket. I just told him, hey, hey you know, get pull this thing over if you see a train behind you, you know. Right. But right. I just thought that was interesting. So, Bryce, thanks a lot for that. Maybe we'll talk more about it, Ed, on our next, um, our next Free Rider Friday. But um, thanks again for coming up with this uh, Dickens show idea. I thought it was great. It oh. really made me think about <laughs> Christmas Carol and economics, but it, it's just a great story to read this time of year. It, so. it really is. I read it to my kids last year. It was a, a lot of fun. Well, let me let me let me wrap with a quote, Ron, and then you can you can okay. sign us off, okay? And this okay. is the, and stave five, the end of it all. After Scrooge has been reclaimed, he says uh, says out loud, "I will live in the past, the present, and the future." The spirits of all three shall strive within me. O oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. All right. Well, with that, I'll see you in about three weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. We will be on, folks, for the next two weeks, but we'll be running best-of shows, so I think we're going to have Dr. Jules Goddard show on, and George Gilder, two of Ed and I's favorite shows. Um, and we will be back with you live on January 8th, and you're going to want to stay tuned for that uh, episode, because we're going to have... Daniel Suskin, author of The Future of the Professions on. Have a wonderful Christmas, everybody, and a prosperous new year, and we'll see you in 2016. Thank you.